We all know that organic content marketing and SEO is one of the most important growth channels for SaaS today. It's a real struggle for most growing SaaS companies to find the internal bandwidth to get all the content done that you need for your SEO. Plus, how do you prioritize your actions to get the fastest path to results? The trick is finding the right agency to partner with. And that's why today's sponsor is Flying Cat Marketing. I really like the way they approach SEO and content marketing. They're full service and they have content experts, technical SEO experts, and a team of absolute rock stars. But what I really love about their approach is the following. They have a process for working with internal experts so their content sounds like it's written in-house. They follow a proven framework, which means they get results way faster than any regular in-house team. And they do everything. They don't just provide you with the strategy and let you figure it out. They actually execute it for you and hold themselves accountable for results. Plus, they know B2B SaaS, which is what we're talking about today. Their clients include ActiveCampaign, Mixmax, Hotjar, and many other big names in SaaS. If you're ready to dip your toes into SEO and content marketing, please speak with them today at flyingcatmarketing.com. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about moving up market in the SaaS world. Today, we have our guest, Andy Stinnis, joining us. Andy is a general partner at CloudApps Capital Partners, a market-focused VC firm specializing in cloud business application companies. They partner with entrepreneurs at the very early stages to build global category leading companies. Andy is responsible for developing investment strategies, sourcing and leading investments, and serving on the board of portfolio companies. He's an expert in business software applications, business networks, enterprise class, product strategy, and go-to market. So welcome, Andy. Super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Akil. It's good to be here. So lots of interesting stuff has, has been happening this year, right? I mean, I'd love to kind of start before we dig into kind of going up market, um, you know, about the current market when it comes to investing in, you know, the, the SaaS applications, the cloud market, with obviously public markets going down, uh, investors holding back or, or, you know, rethinking their strategy. What's your kind of current position as a VC firm, both in the short term for, let's say, 2022, and then maybe, you know, thinking long term ahead as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what a crazy market it's been, right? Over the last mm-hmm. uh, two years, for sure. Definitely. Um, maybe cut to the answer first. We think it's, it's actually a great time, a uh, great market for, uh, for investors in SaaS. I mean, we think the cloud market in general is, is a great thing. And, uh, you know, never mind sort of the ups and downs of the moment is, uh, the long-term proposition is a, is a, is a wonderful place to be and to invest and to build companies in. But maybe just for a little bit of context, um, let's not forget we had like, you know, the longest running bull market. Uh, and this, mm-hmm. this market is known for its sort of ups and downs on a somewhat of a regular cycle. But this has been a long one. And the last two years, like I said, were, were particularly uh, crazy, right? Um, yeah. and, and honestly, as a firm, we've been sort of sitting here for a while expecting that it's time for a for a change and for a correction. Yeah. Um, and, you know, IPO is on fire. I don't need to retell the story. Lots of non-traditional investors coming in, in the last year, two years. Yeah. And really amping up valuations around sizes, particularly towards the late stage investments, where yeah. sort of the, the time to IPO, time to exit was short enough that you can kind of uh, set the clock for it and, 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 and expect that uh, IPO window still to be open and, and lucrative for you. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, valuations kind of doubled uh, in cloud specifically over the last, you know, two years at the late stage. 
Interestingly, yeah. when you look at early stage, which is where we're investing, it's not as pronounced. They were up, but more like 40% or so. Uh, and that's simply because at the early stage, you're so far away from an exit, right? At the time, you're talking right. six, eight, 10 years to maturity, to public scale. Yeah. And God knows what the market will look like at that point. So it's, it's a little different in the early stage, but, but still, uh, clearly it's been, uh, it's been somewhat dislocated. Lots of folks moving earlier. And, and as a firm, we've actually been sitting pretty, uh, uh, uh conservatively and not made many investments. Okay. For example, in 21, we, you know, we made just, I think one single investment. Okay. Um, just because it was not, you know, not, a particularly good market as an investor, as, uh, as, as overvalued as things were. So, you know, fast forward six months, here we are. Um, and, uh, the world has changed quite a bit, which I think is actually, is actually good news. Uh, good news certainly for us as investors because, you know, valuations are down, things are a little saner, you know, the process is more, uh, more um, healthy, right? You can actually take your time to get to know founders and their business ideas and, and build a real relationship and not just rush through, you know, from two weeks from get to know each other to term sheet. Exactly. Um, and the other side of this is, you know, a, a downturn like this is actually the time when a lot of great companies are being born, right? If you go mm-hmm. back in history, a lot of the the all-time, you know, most successful SaaS companies were actually started, you know, in 2007, 2008, 2009, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, a time when things were were not that great. So, um, because in the early stage, and that's a whole other chapter we can talk about, um, you don't necessarily need that many customers. You don't need that that much funding, right? So, you just need time uh, from your customers and from your investors, and that's what folks have right now. So, uh, it's a great time. Uh, to be investing and, and we're super active again and um, and uh, will be for some time to come here. Uh, yeah. And we're excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've been in the same kind of position with you in 2021. I think we, we were the same at Horizon Capital. I think we did one one investment, but yeah, at, at, you know, initial of this year, we were kind of, you know, rocked by what was happening. We we're going to just a, more of the uncertainty, but now that things have kind of settled, I think we're, we're definitely more excited and, you know, uh, to get into the, to, to more, doing more deals because yeah, exactly. That was just, I felt overvalued, overhyped. People were just asking for, for way too much and it just didn't feel um, you know, sustainable to, 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 to do those kind of deals. But um, we'd love to kind of hear, you know, so you said you work with early stage companies. Um, can you share about a little bit more, but what does your investment thesis look like? What do you look for in entrepreneurs you work with and, and you know, who are companies you don't want to work with or, you know, tell me, tell us a bit more about your valuations that, that you are comfortable investing in right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we're a market focused firm. Like I said, we invest exclusively in, in business cloud. So business software, cloud based, um, pr- primarily with sort of an eye to sort of end user application software. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we lead what we call a classic series A. Uh, typically those are, you know, around three to six, seven, eight million dollars in size. Okay. That, you know, we lead, um, and we, uh, do the majority of the, of the, of the check for, uh, and then we'd like to build some strong syndicates around us for those rounds. And, um, the reason we call it classic series A is, you know, if you look at the, con- the funding continuum, right? There's lots of angel activity, lots of seed investors who do a great job doing what they're doing, but to build a successful cloud company, uh, you need enough capital. Uh, to get to sort of a 2 million ARR range at which stage you can raise 
from most of the more traditional larger firms, right? So the, the new age Series A, for example, typically now is 10, 15 million in size. And yeah. those rounds typically require 2 million ARR or more, right? Okay. So okay. in our view, there's a bit of a hole in the market because the seed check of 2 million or so just doesn't get you there. And then importantly, also seed firms uh, as a risk hedging strategy, just make a lot of investments. But as a result, they don't have a whole lot of time to help founders. Right. And especially at that early stage, so much company building is being done. Mm-hmm. And that's where founders need the most help, right? Because right. No, nobody knows it all, right? So so our thesis is that we kind of sit in the middle as a stepping stone. We do these, what we again call a classic Series A. We have the focus of a Series A investor. You know, we only do about 12 to 15 investments per fund okay. with two investing partners. So we join the board. We have time. We have, you know, lots of operating experience. My partner and I both have 20 years each as operators building software companies in various roles and executive teams. So okay. we've done it, seen it, have a lot of, you know, network of SaaS experts that we can bring to bear as advisors, as board members, maybe as hires. And, um, and we do that again earlier than your new age series A, right? We don't need 2 million ARR. We go in 100, 200 K ARR as long as, long as we can see it. There's some traction, okay. some validation. We've done investing at inception okay. when we know the founders. Uh, so some people would think of it as seed investing, but we don't think of it that way because we are very focused. Like I said, 15 investments per fund. So we have a, a much more dedicated um commitment to uh, the companies we invest in. Okay. And so you, you do seed, you also do classic series A, you know, 2 million plus ARR. Is there specific industries? If somebody's listening in, they say they, they probably got a business that could be a fit and they want to reach out, um, you know, to, to some kind of verticals that, that make more sense for you guys and you guys like to work with? Yeah. So I think the best way to describe it, I think, is when we look at opportunities is again, we have uh, sort of a preference for end-user software, right? So we okay. stay away typically from, um, you know, infrastructure stuff like security or cyber or something like this just because we don't understand it well enough and we yeah. want to add value in the process post-investment and for that, we need to kind of understand it. So, but with that frame, it's fairly broad, right? Okay. Whether it's sort of CRM, MarTech, sales, whether it's legal or compliance, whether it's supply chain, manufacturing, we, you know, we've done a lot of things kind of all over the corporate functional spectrum. Um, the things that we look for the most are, um, do the founders really understand the domain and the problem they're solving? That's sort of Mm -hmm. one big criteria for us. Yeah. Second one is, who is the buyer title, right? Not just a company, the ICP, so to speak, of companies they sell to, but who's the person okay. in terms of their title, their role, their influence, their budget access, and how relevant is this problem to this particular buyer, right? Is it like the number one problem to that uh, buyer title or is it the number 12, right? Or the number okay. 15? Mm-hmm. And then is the market large enough, right? Because as you said in your opening, you know, a blurb about us, we invest with an eye to public scale category creating or leading companies. Uh, and that works only if you have a large enough global market um, mm. with enough value runway, if you will, around that buyer title. Like what are all the things that this person is going to need to be built around the initial proposition? 
so that yeah. you can grow ACV with that customer over time. So those are the things we look for. Again, it's okay. not particular particular verticals or it's not particular spaces per se, but those are sort of the, the theses, the dimensions of the theses that we have. Got it. And then, and then, so you get a stage. You find you find a company that's you know you feel is is a good investment opportunity where you guys can get involved and you feel you understand um, at the early stages. Your expertise is obviously also involved in the the validating and opportunities to and help them go up market or understand the you know the value of, of being up market. Um, maybe can you speak a little bit why do you, why do you think it's important that they they move up market or they 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 should consider that that's, that should be where they should be. Yeah, so that's an interesting that's an interesting. Um, uh, question, right? Because to some degree, I think it's less of a you decide whether you want to go up market or down market. It's more of like the dynamics around the problem you're solving, the industry you're solving at the end of what can happen to you, and then navigating that and being ready for it, right? So the way we think of it is uh, there's essentially two sort of distinct models in SaaS, right? One is what we call traditional SaaS which is more like you start with smaller companies, SMB, mid-market, but you tackle a global problem, a pretty ubiquitous problem, and it can grow and go be taken all the way to enterprise. And I'll come back to that in a second. The other distinct model is what we call enterprise cloud, which is where from the very beginning, you tackle um, large companies, enterprise customers. Exactly. And... uh, and which one is the right one really depends on what is the problem you solve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and who is that buyer title and which kind of companies do I find a buyer uh, that has that problem of significant uh, criticality, if you will, and, and, and scope that you can um, you can even sell successfully, right? So just to make some examples, like supply chain, for example, is like a typical top-down thing, right? Because you need large enough companies that really have massive issues with their supply chains that you can enter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an example from our portfolio is a company called 4C Risk, which is uh, governance risk and, and compliance. And, you know, from the very beginning, they sell to very large financial institutions to the risk, the chief uh, compliance officer and risk manager, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure they have the tools in place to 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 uh, to deal with that, that's just not something you find easily in in smaller companies, right? So, enterprise cloud versus traditional SaaS depends a lot on again the problem you're solving, and that goes back to the domain expertise of of the founders. Right. Now, what what's interesting in um, you know all the years we've been doing this, when you look at companies that start with enterprise customers, enterprise cloud companies. Very rarely do you see them really go down market, even with large, even with large success. Or think of like a a Workday, or think of a, a Viva, right? The mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals cloud, mm-hmm. super successful companies, crazy mm-hmm. successful. But their attempts to go either they don't try because it just doesn't make sense, and they're not, or they try but they couldn't, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the the culture that gets built, uh, the dynamic around a partner ecosystem. And the way the product is designed, the way the sales organization is designed and works, and a hundred other reasons. And that's probably that's a whole other show here on that yeah. topic. It uh it just doesn't really happen to to go down market. Right. Now, if you go start with small customers, SMB and mid-market, you know, traditional SaaS, then it's you're much, much more likely to be able to go up market. And I think the way that happens is more of a you get pulled up market, 
it's it's less of a conscious decision that like, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if we start selling to bigger customers? It's more of a natural uh, process. So if you think of, um, let's see, Salesforce is a great example, or um, yeah. or Bot Box is another wonderful example, right? Yeah. It's very much started with a, you know, let's nibble away at Siebel, right? This is your old Salesforce story, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and then it becomes more of a land and expand, really. Right? First, it's small companies, and they use it, and it's great, and it's easy to use, and it doesn't have a huge sticker, and there's no professional services organization that wants to come in and charge you big dollars to implement the stuff, and blah blah blah. It's easy, right? It's good. It's 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 good for small companies. They love it. Yeah. And then you find big companies start. Um, um, adopting this more of a departmental level, right? Small teams, they use it. Slack, by the way, is another example of this, right? Mm-hmm. And then more people see it and it become, it grows sort of in, in, internally from you know, small group to department. And at some point, CIO looks at this, but like, why don't we all use this, right? Exactly. And that's the point when the market actually starts pulling you up. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful place to be. Uh, it's also one that you need to be prepared for. <laughs> Okay. Because things absolutely break at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your product isn't designed for enterprise. You know, enterprise has different needs. Yeah. And when you think about the infrastructure on security, robustness, scalability, the integration into their backend systems and a whole bunch of stuff like this, right? It's, right. It, it will break. I mean, if you trace the story of a Salesforce or a box, that was certainly the case. Uh, we talked yeah. to people who've been there through the journey, like there were, you know, moments of angst where like okay we have to kind of rebuild this thing as we're flying Mm -hmm. um that's the product side there's the sales side right selling to big companies is different Um, the way they buy the way they want to be treated you know the whole the long sales cycle complex much more political Mm -hmm. multi-dimensional you you know all those things so you need to retool your organization you need to retool your product your financials actually changing a little bit so there's a bunch of stuff that uh, needs to be overcome. There are real obstacles. And, and mm-hmm. by the way, some companies choose not to go there. Right? Okay. They're like very happy in mid-market and, and, and in SMB. Mm-hmm. But you know, most of the super category successes that you know I keep referencing, they all like saw it, felt it, were pulled, and did the work to get there, and became super successful. Uh, uh, that way, right? But by, by the way, so just sort of a little factoid here. We we did some some analysis. Uh, if you look at the the Bessemer Cloud Index and look mm-hmm. at those companies there, just yeah. broadly speaking, there's some some mixed forms in there that are hard to categorize. But broadly speaking, about seventy percent of those companies all started with SMB and went up. Right. And about twenty percent or so of those companies are like the the Workday Viva types, right? That are basically enterprise cloud companies and few of them, if any, I mean, I couldn't name one, honestly, that really went all the way down into SMB. Uh, I think that that very yeah. It's definitely a challenge. And I've, I've heard that, you know, when, when some SaaS companies we speak to who start up market and, you know, they don't get as much traction or growth as they like. And then they think, okay, maybe it's better to go, you know, down market to, to kind of, you know, faster sales cycles, easier to kind of get into the market, get faster feedback. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why people start, Maybe with the with the SMB is easier just to to get it out and get people using it in the shorter sales cycle, right? But uh, one one important point you mentioned, which is you know you kind of get pulled up market, and I, I guess there's certain metrics or certain you know checkpoints that maybe start telling you that that it's time. Um, what what would be some that you think that as a founder you have to think about and say, okay, look, it's time to transition to up market. I mean, one would be kind of 
you know, maybe you're just getting more demand and people are, are reaching, you know, there's more enterprise inbound requests or, um, you know, there's, there's just more requests from your existing customers who need more functionality that, that are, are using it, but needed for their, you know, for, for their entire team. Um, what, what, what else would you think would be? Yeah, I think the number one thing to look at and listen for is just what is the market telling you? Right? Is there that poll that I described earlier? Right? Are you starting to see uh, larger customers adopting maybe in smaller ways, team-based, departmental, like I said? Mm-hmm. And does that naturally lead to like a sort of a growth inside those companies? Mm-hmm. I know from our portfolio, we have some uh, some companies that basically run stats on like, okay, how many users do we have at large customers and yeah. how does this user count grow over time as an indicator for them to know like, okay, this is working for large companies and it's better than the alternative that they have used so far. And that's that word is spreading. Right. So I think that's the number one thing uh, to look for. Right. Okay. I think if you're not certain, you can do some, some, some test marketing into the mid markets, lower, lower, lower level enterprise and just see like, are they, are they going to take it up to begin with just, you know, reputationally functionality fit to what they need. And then what is their experience and what, you know, how hard is it for you to service them and how different is that from your experience? Yeah. Um, and I think that will tell you a lot about um, the market's interest. And then there's a, a, a gut check question. Um, you know, you as a founder, your executive team, your board, right? Your investors. That's that's a big step, big decision to let that happen, to go there. And are you ready? Right. I mean, it does exactly. change exactly. change financials, and it just changed the company, and it uh, it's it's a journey, right? You need a lot of capital yeah. also to make that happen. So, is that the path you want to go, or are you are you happy in the mid market or SMB world? And that can be the right answer. It really depends. Exactly. Yeah, I've actually heard that as well. Some founders who, who just want to stay product led, they just want to focus on product and just all inbound driven, and they have no desire to be sales led to build a sales organization to be doing any sales and 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 they're okay with that and regardless of what the market says they just want to stay in that that bubble or circle and and that's okay too right yeah absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. i mean think about gross margins right so yeah. when you have a if it's plg it's even more so but you know even if mm-hmm. you have like a inbound inside sales or or, or out of convert kind of um business smb you yeah. probably end up having tremendous growth margins and you're probably in the upper 80 percentile or something like this. Exactly. And if you, like you said, if you have to put a, a sales organization, God forbid, a field sales organization together yeah. and a professional services organization, um, your margins will not look as stellar as they used to. And there's definitely yeah. an example of companies that looked at that and go like, nah, not for us. Let's, let's mm. just stay where we are. Market's big exactly. enough. Exactly. Exactly. And that's okay too. Yeah. Have you seen other kind of, uh, you know, differences in terms of like, key metrics when, when people go up markets, such as, you know, the ARR or the, you know, LTV or, 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 or churn or CAC and, you know, other, other, uh, metrics yeah, that yeah, you share? Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, I think yeah, of course, as always, right. It, it varies a little bit, but I think broadly speaking, what you will see is your, your annual contract value, your ACV will go up, right? Larger customers, larger tickets, you know, once they commit and they want to do this for real, then those are big, big deals. Mm-hmm. Um, your churn will actually improve, right? So mm-hmm. enterprise customers are much more sticky. A, they don't go out of business or at least not as often as SMBs, right? So a lot of the churn in the SMB level where you have like 15, 20% churn or so, it's just small companies come and go, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, so churn goes gets better, so to speak. Uh, LTV and LTV over CAC, so your customer acquisition costs definitely goes up for all the reasons mm-hmm. I mentioned a minute ago. Mm-hmm. But your LTV also goes up. A, bigger tickets, and B, much more longevity, right? So once a large enterprise makes a commitment to use Box or to use Salesforce, to stick with those two examples, yeah. those are 10-year commitments. That's not stuff that they rip out after two years, right? right so right. so both of those numbers go up. So your LTV over CAC, uh, it depends a little bit, right? It could trend the same, better or worse. It's a bit of a proportional question. Yeah. Um, and then your net retention rate uh, is also going up, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. think there's, there's, there's good statistics being published by folks out there, but I think, you know, in the SMB world, you're probably, you know, you're probably 80, 80, 90% or so net retention. Yeah. And once you go into enterprise, you're going to get that over 100 and, you know, it should be more like 120 percentile or so. Okay. Um, in, in that space. And like I said before, gross margin uh, typically goes down right. because of the, the, the bigger part of services that are, that are usually needed in the, in, the, in the enterprise world. Not always, but you know, yeah. in, in most cases. True. So more services and then also, I guess, higher CAC, right? Overall. So I think you're willing, as long as you're willing yeah. to, to invest that CAC, I think overall seems to be a better return in the long run, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I, and I'm looking at your website, your portfolio of companies you guys have invested in. You have different, you know, great success stories as well. Um, you know, with, with, with your track record, obviously you have a great track record. Can you share maybe a few uh, mistakes, right? That's all things that we want to learn, mistakes that companies make when they maybe try to scale a little bit too early. And I think that's important. People love the idea of scaling quickly, but, you know, if you scale too early, I think there's, there's you know, could go wrong as well. Yeah, I think um, the number one thing that we find uh, advising founders on, you know, portfolio or just in, in general, as we speak with people is, is, uh, scaling your sales organization prematurely. And I think mm-hmm. that is, you know, the, the, the larger, I think your customers are, the, the longer your sales cycle, the more complex that is, the more true that is, right? So if you have something very transactional, very simple, uh, fast sales cycle, then, you know, it's easier to ramp and experience and, and see where that goes. But if you have a long sales cycle and complex sales cycle, and if you start throwing bodies at this too quickly, mm-hmm. um, it takes a long time for you to figure out that it doesn't work and it doesn't scale. And that's very expensive, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for example, I, you know, you have a, uh, you know, uh, a company and you have like, you know, the founding team, you have like two salespeople. Yeah. And uh, under the direct you know supervision, if you will, of the founders and that works and you're like, okay, we got it. Now let's hire seven. Yeah. Right. Finding the right plus five, right. And actually understanding what's going on and what's going wrong and what's going right. Uh, yeah. What's going, sorry, on the God, it's going wrong side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes very opaque, very hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, you really need to understand, you know, who is the ICP, the ideal customer profile, who's the buyer, how do they buy, what are really the solution requirements and sort of the, the whole solution, right? Not just here's the product, but everything around it to make it like something that's really adoptable and can be successful, competition mm-hmm. how do we where do we really differentiate not just our marketing material what we think it is but what is it really in the customers like all these things take time right mm-hmm. and i've seen too many founders 
you know, out of their, you know, boundless optimism and sometimes a lack of experience. They're like, okay, we want to grow fast. So, you know, we can, each rep can, you know, do this many deals per year. So therefore we need, you know, eight reps. That's higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and not wait long enough until you really have figured this out. And you can sort of tell if I add one more rep, it's going to actually add this much more in, in net, net new ARR every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you get to that point, then you can carefully grow into it rather than just, you know, go fast. Mm-hmm. And I think the other one that's a little bit more nuanced there, but um, there's a very important transition that goes on in that early stage as you grow that team, yeah. which is the transition from founder-led sales to sort of sales-led, right? Professional right. sales organization. Exactly. And many founders totally underappreciate how important they personally, uh, a role they play in the sales process, how much those early customers love sort of the cachet of dealing with this young, vibrant CEO. And she is just awesome. And I'm, I'm really buying from her. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And the moment she steps away from it, it it becomes a very different dynamic and the sales process changes. Right. And, since they need to deliver numbers and the board's on their case, right? So she or he, whoever the case may be, they continue to, you know, be in every deal and, and don't realize that as long as that's the case, they're not ready to scale. You have to right. first with a team of two to three reps, you know, prove ideally with like a VP player coach, head of sales with two plus two, maybe three reps for a year or so prove that this really works and you don't need to be much involved. Mm. And then you know that now I can start adding more people to it. Um, but if it's always centered around you as the founder or the founding team, it's yeah. really hard to scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't, you can't expect the same results from, from you know, be you as the founder as, as, you know, your first hire, right? And it's going to take time before you can hopefully re- replicate the results that you got yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, speaking of, you know, some of the com- companies or portfolio companies that you've worked with or you partnered with or invested in, can you talk a little, you know, maybe share an example of maybe how you helped them form that, that strategy for that upmarket transition and maybe what was the result that you guys have seen from doing that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. Um, so maybe a good example is a company called GoForms. Okay. Uh, so they're in the mobile forms, digital mobile forms space. Um, and we invested in, in them quite a while ago. They, uh, they very much started with small companies, you know, not even mid market, just really SMB. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a PLG model, right? So yeah. business freemium, it wasn't called PLG when they started, you know, feel a business freemium, but it's basically a free plan for, you know, this many users, this many forms, what have you. Um, and then, you know, four fee tiers of different four fee arrangements on top of that for those who really like the solution and want to grow it and use it more and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, uh, we spend quite some time, um, helping them through like perfecting the model, the PLG model, the product itself. I mean, it's a, it's a, a uh, very unique sort of solution because the form is exactly like whatever your PDF looked like before. Now it's going to look exactly the same, only it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a digital form that you can fill, which makes the adoption in the field so much easier right, than something that's different. So getting that right, right. And then finding traction, like what are the verticals? What are the kind of companies? Who is that buyer title, uh, that really, uh, gets it and wants that and needs it and will, will grow it. 
And uh, so, for example, if hadn't had much success or are having much success in sort of in construction and general sort of field service and things like oil and gas and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now they are, you know, the leader, uh, if you look at the G2 uh, quadrant, right, the, the leader of the mobile forms market uh, and um, are growing really nicely. Uh, they've got, you know, wonderful KPIs. So if you look at their uh, LTV over CAC math, it just looks awesome. And with every dollar invested in sort of marketing, it just pays dividends. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great sort of flywheel thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back to your theme of moving up market, right? Without necessarily yeah. a conscious, okay, let's change everything and move up market kind of decision. They're starting to see more and more mid-market customers, big enterprise customers, you know, they've got like a whole stable of customers where, you know, like six-digit annual, you know, ACV numbers. Yeah. That all started with just PLG, use it mm. for five users and grow over time. And um, and that's kind of things that, that you know, that we we do, we've experienced with. And uh, yeah. it's definitely a, a great success story. And, and we are very excited about what will happen to them over the next, you know, two three years for sure yeah you gotta love those type of uh those those, those kind of inbound requests of you know those those um enterprise companies or mid-market to come in and they just try it without any kind of sales sales interaction and they, they, they over 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 time just organically grow and and, and become a six-figure user right you gotta love those yeah for sure mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so, so i'm just checking this out yeah goforums.com yeah great looks great um, and, and then kind of the last question I have before we move to the, you know, more personal rapid fire questions, part of the, the interview, which is, you know, I, I know we talked a little bit about, um, maybe issues or, or things to think about if you're trying to, if you try to scale your business too early, but do you have any other tips or maybe mistakes to avoid for some early, early stage founders? If they're looking to scale their company and they're ready to go up market in the future and, and you maybe think about when is the right time, uh, you know, when it comes to that time for their business. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'd say this. Uh, first and foremost, I think don't worry about, uh, you know, enterprise versus SMB versus whatever. Start okay. with really thinking about what is the problem I'm solving? Like, do I really understand it? And where is the right sort of, you know, head pin, if you will, from a company, types of companies, types of buyers that have this problem and gravitate to using new technology and adopting new technology, not being risk adverse. Mm-hmm. And let that make that decision for you, right? And if you are a, you know, workday kind of company, you know, when they started and it's just the right answer to start with large enterprises for, you know, a host of reasons, and that's what it is. And then that's great. And you can be spectacularly successful with big enterprise customers and maybe never leave that space. Yeah. Or if you find out that, you know, the nature of the problem you're solving is just such that, you know, you find it much easier to start with small companies and be successful there, then that's what it is. Right. So, mm-hmm. so don't, don't get it, don't get too much in your head over the like up market, down market, whatever. Like what's the right thing to do, right? Right, for right. for this for this problem for this business I'm trying to build, right. Um, and then I think um, um, be cognizant, right, of some of the things that we just talked about in terms of limitations and challenges along the way, right. So, for example, I would say if you are ending up starting with uh, more of the enterprise side, be very uh, careful in what customers you pick, specifically mm-hmm. if they're really big. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. 
you know, I, I always cringe when I see, you know, early stage founders, you know, um, you know, give me a call and all excited about their very first customers, Walmart, right? Or something exactly. like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And as beautiful as and as big as those companies are, they can also sink you, right? Because you'll end up building a product that's basically just for them. But how many more Walmarts are out there? Like how many more customers that have exactly the same problem and That's can true. be solved the same way? So so just be be careful there, right? And I think if you end up starting more on the SMB side, uh, just think scale, think automation, mm. right? You know, mm. yes, early on you could do a lot more things manually. Mm-hmm. But you're very quickly going to run into brick walls, right? Because mm-hmm. in order for that to work, you need to onboard hundreds of customers every year, not mm-hmm. thousands, right? So you need to just do this as, as streamlined as possible. So get that into your mindset and into your team's mindset early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Yeah, I remember that, uh, you know, getting that first you know, uh, enterprise client, you know, years ago in the, in the first SaaS company I advised with. And yeah, you know, they asked for a proof of concept and, you know, teams all excited and, yeah, but then you you end up building for for their team, and then one department, and then all of a sudden you're, yeah, you're 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 stuck into the you know a, a different business than what you thought you would, right? Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, Andy. This has been fantastic advice. I mean, I appreciate all you, you shared here. Uh, yeah, so, gladly. Yeah, ready for the uh, rapid fire questions? All right, hit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's hit it. All right, all right, let's do it. Okay, so uh, what's one activity you enjoy outside of work that you say gets you into to flow state? Uh, I love being outdoors, uh, and, you know, whether it's, you know, hiking or skiing or whatnot, I just love the outdoors, but I think more than anything else from this flow state, I love endurance sports and, you know, I mm-hmm. swim a lot and I run, but biking by far is my number one. Like I get to love to be on my road bike and, you know, here where I live, lots of nice hills and beautiful roads. And, and it just gives me a lot of, uh, peace and, and space to think. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I love biking as well. That's awesome. Um, what's one piece of advice, Andy, you wish you had known? And it, you would, if you could go back, you would tell your, let's say, 25-year-old self. <laughs> okay, where do I start? A <laughs> <laughs> list of that. Eh? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, let's see. I think one that comes to mind here is um, if you'd met me at 25, uh, I was hyper, hyper-focused. My, my friends always make fun of me. Hyper-focused, super intense as a person. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that was only one right way. And that was my way and, and, and go, go, go. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, over the years, I probably mellowed out a little bit, but I would give myself the advice that, you know, your peripheral vision mm. is really important. Right. So what's around you, like what you learn along the way. And that's sort of not directly within focus and who you meet and, you know, how these people may become really influential in your life later on. Yeah. Is actually, worth spending more uh, time and capacity brain capacity and, and everything else on than i yeah. ever did in my in my early years yeah yeah fantastic i love it um what are some of the biggest challenges you guys are currently facing in order to continue to grow your vc firm cloud apps capital partners meaning i don't know if there's anything that keeps you up at night these days when it comes to to investing or looking at deals or, or what um, yeah, let's see. So I think, like I said, we were super excited about the market. I think that that's, that's really a, a bright spot for us. And we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're excited about what, what lies ahead and the investments we already made this year. Mm-hmm. Keeping up at night is probably too strong, but the things that are sort of on the watch list are, um, 
it's a little uncertain right now, just economically, of how the bio markets will develop, right? I mean, we had mm-hmm. like this huge burst of like everybody needs to digitalize, digital digitalize everything. Yeah. Um, so now maybe there's a recession, maybe not. We'll see how mm-hmm. that uh, how that behaves, right? So we're thinking yeah. and working with our portfolio companies around how much caution to put into their plans for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second one is just uh, follow-on financing, right? So we lead the early Series A, the classic Series A. Yeah. But then there's like B's and C's and D's come after us, and we have a great, beautiful network of firms we work with that we we appreciate and they appreciate us. Mm-hmm. A lot of those firms are, you know, in a position now where they have to be cautious, right? They invested, you know, in high valuation companies that don't really have anywhere to go right now. So uh, the market's all gummed up. And uh, so making sure that that starts uh, flowing again, that capital and, uh, you know, our portfolio companies can all get follow on financing and continue to grow uh, uh-huh. is another thing that, you know, we uh, we spend time on and is, is on the watch list. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, and, and who or what are the best resources? Let's, let's say three. It could be books. It can be, you know, people, mentors, or maybe people you follow in the space who you'd say have been kind of the most instrumental to your success over these last few years, whether in investing or in operations? Hmm. Um, look, I, I've been I've been blessed with you know working with you know amazing people throughout my whole career, uh, and I think I've sometimes there were you know rather explicit mentors to me, and that sort of acknowledged, and sometimes I never knew that they were mentoring me, but I was borrowing and looking and watching i've always sort of been fascinated by seeing what other people do how they do it how they're how they're different from Mm -hmm. who i am and how i am and how i do things and Mm. sort of you know borrow and steal and 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 emulate if you will yeah but one thing i think i've found um for myself over the years is that at the end of the day you just have to be you Right. Um, mm-hmm. You have to trace true to yourself and, and know and, and, and understand what your style is mm-hmm. and not overthink the like, okay, is that the right way or the wrong way? But just be authentic about it and be true to yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Just what, what do you really want? Right. And know what, you know, right. is, it looks like success or what, you know, the, you know, what, what uh, everybody else right. does. Is the right <laughs> you know, there's, mm-hmm. I think there is sort of a tendency to, to think that there's a right or wrong in certain things. Like you know, how, how, how should a you know founder of a SaaS company be right <laughs> in terms <laughs> yeah, of sure. behavior and appearance and, and, and demeanor <laughs> and all these things. And it's just not, the, that's just the wrong way to look at it. It's like, like, who are you? Right. <laughs> And how can you apply your strengths and your character traits to the task at hand? And there's a million different ways to do that. And I think that confidence of just, you know, being yourself and making the most out of that rather than trying to play a role, someone you're yeah. not. I think that's, that's, that's key. <laughs> I imagine you being in the Bay area, you might see a lot of those, you know, there's like a, a replication of how, you know, what the ideal person looks like as a founder and everybody tries to replicate. Yeah. There's a little bit of that going on for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Um, so obviously you've had, you know, great success in your career and you know, you know, where you are today. So, you know, things about this definition of what I'm about to ask you probably has changed over time, but you know, today, what, what does success mean to you today? And, and it could be either personally, business, financial life. It's, there's no right answer, but how do you, how do you define it? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, to some degree, it kind of comes back to what we just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, to me, success is like, first and foremost, just, you know, 
be happy, be healthy, right? With what, with your life and what you're doing, right? And everything else is just, you know, sub to that. But my kids, my teenage kids, um, they, they say this thing and, and, and others will probably laugh when they hear that, but they say, you do you. And they typically say, they typically say that when they completely disagree with what I just said or what I'm doing. Uh, in a sort of slightly passive aggressive, like, okay, you're, you're, you're a lost cause. I'll we'll, we'll give up on you. So you do your dad. <laughs> okay, but, but you know, secretly to me, it's almost become like a, like my, my secret mantra, which is like, you know, be true to yourself. Yes. Mm. I, I'm, I'm going to do me, right? You do you mm. and, uh, be happy with that, right? Find what makes you happy and, you know, and whatever mix of, you know, um, personal, professional, financial, what have you, right? Is all these things matter, right? But they're different for everybody, and you just need to figure it out for yourself and and, and go with that. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, be yourself. That's success. Yeah, love it, Andy. This is, this has been great. Um, you know, just just to kind of wrap this off. For if founders are looking to get in touch with you, learn more about you, your VC firm, or they're maybe looking to pitch their company for for investment. Where, where's the best place to go or, or get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, I think all these two obvious ones, but I think they are the best ones. Like one is LinkedIn. Um, so you'll find, you know, me on LinkedIn very easily. Uh, and uh, there's also a lot of resources out there. I, I do uh, write a bunch of articles, you know, about these kind of topics. Actually, the one that we just talked about here about upmarket, downmarket. Uh, I wrote a whole paper on this couple of years ago, I think that's all out there. So you'll find me there. Just, you know, follow me if you want to learn more or just contact me if you, uh, if you're interested, if you think like you have a business, um, that kind of fits our theme and need a partner that, you know, is like us, like that has operating experience and can, can be committed to the long-term success. Uh, just find us there. And then our website, uh, Cloudapps Capital Partners website, which you'll also find quickly. Um, has, you know, lots of more information about us, the portfolio, you know, uh, our success stories, who we are. And I think those are probably the two best resources. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So add your, your LinkedIn profile on the, the website to our show notes. So if you guys want to check it out, uh, feel free to reach out and check out more about Andy. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much once again, Andy. Appreciate you jumping on, on the Statistics Show today. No, no problem, Akil. It was great fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.